My name is, as Scott said, my name is Amit, and I'm really glad to be here today to be able to share uh, with you. Uh, so for those of you who don't know um, about me, uh, I grew up on uh, Long Island. Um, I was born and raised in New York um, to a wonderful family, and my parents actually came from India in the 1970s. Uh, but I was born and raised in New York, and they raised me as a die-hard Mets fan. Um, after, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and after high school, my family, we moved to Texas. And it was at the University of Texas at, in Austin where I was introduced to country music. Uh, chicken fried steak, that really is a thing. Uh, and the gospel. And it was actually at the University of Texas. I was in the business school. I... Uh, you know, I thought, okay, I don't know what I was going to do with my life. I was like, all right, let me study business. And it was the late 90s. And during that time, there were a lot of stories that were happening about corporations that were hiring, uh, you know, child labor and exploiting kids in order to make products. And I was like, I don't like this. I, I want to find a better way um, instead of capitalism. And so I decided to study Marxist economics. And I was like, all right, let, let, let me see what, what I can learn over here. And to be honest, I didn't really understand uh, that class. I didn't do, do too well in it. Only class I ever got a C in. Um, and, but in that class, there was a short little Ethiopian guy named Abe. And he, one day he came up to me and said, would you like to study? So I said, sure. And I was studying with him. And he seemed like a smart guy. And he maybe understood what the teacher was saying, where I did not fully grasp it. And... Uh, when I was with him, I would just open up my heart about what I wanted to do, the problems I saw in the world. And Abe said, hey, do you know what drives me to get up every morning? Um, I was like, no. You know, what is it? Uh, do you work out? Do you do yoga? Uh, what, what drives you to get up in the morning? And he said, it's for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's not exactly what I wanted to hear. I'm glad that works for you, but uh, I want to find my own way. And... Uh, you know, I decided this Marx stuff is not working out for me, and so I went back and studied finance, and I got an A in that, and I found out I was good at finance, so I was like, all right, let me stick with this. And a year later, I met Abe again, and again, he said, let's have lunch. And so I had lunch with him, and again, he was talking, and I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up Hindu, and when I grew up, it was the belief that God's here and we're here, and we have to work to have a relationship with him. And it, takes, it may take many lifetimes to do that. Um, but God, Abe said something different. He said, God's here and you're here. And he wants a relationship with you. And you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is have an open heart. And I was like, all right, uh, that sounds great. But I still don't understand everything. But I, it was enough for me to say, when he said, hey, would you like a Bible? And we'd like to read it together? I said, yes. And... Um, so from there, it was about a three-and-a-half-year process of every night me reading the Bible, asking tons and tons of questions, trying to poke holes and trying to figure out, is this Jesus really someone worth following? Um, and after three-and-a-half years, after I brought every possible objection or question I had and God answered it, I made the decision to put my faith in, in Jesus Christ. And uh, at the time, I was actually then living in Dallas, and I was part of a church where uh, I got um, around a group of guys, uh, and they really discipled me. And I actually learned how to read my Bible, and not only how to read my Bible, how to apply it. 
And so it was through that process of discipleship um, where I began to grow in my faith. And uh, I began to then just invest in other men um, and other kids as well. And in 2012, I started dating my now wife, Kanthi, in Dallas. And in a period of eight months from meeting her to getting in, it was whirlwind. It got engaged uh, eight months later. And two weeks after we got engaged, I moved back to New Jersey, back, in, back to the Northeast um, for work. And uh, we got married four months later. And then we started attending Jake as well in 2013. And over the past eight years, uh, the highlight for me being part of this body has been the community. And specifically, uh, in one form or another, uh, whether it's MCG, MCs or CCGs, um, I've always been intentional about finding other guys to walk through life with and to read the Bible and pray with each other. And so, Every Friday morning, uh, I'm with a group of guys, and we are in. You know, we're start, right now. We're starting Micah, but we're we've been committed to reading the Bible with each other and praying for each other and holding each other accountable. And if if that's something you guys don't have, and if you want it, uh, if you're a guy, come please see me. I would love to have you join us. And the reason we do that is that there's a a, a verse in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 27:17. As iron sharpen as iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another. And so that's just a little bit about me and, and uh, who I am. And let me just uh, pray before we get uh, uh, in Hebrews 11. Lord, again, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to be with my friends this morning and share your word. And Lord, I just pray you bless our time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so right now we're in the book of Hebrews and specifically chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's, uh, it's been called the Hall of Faith. Uh, we, we, the theme of Hebrews 11 is faith. And it, it provides examples of faithful people that were not perfect, but people who listened to God and by faith trusted him and did what he called them to do. They trusted and they obeyed. And uh, Chris last week uh, walked through a a lot of uh, believers uh, who had um, walked in faith. And so I'm going to uh, pick us up and uh, take us to the end of Hebrews 11 as we talk more about the hall of faith. And th the main point that I want you to hear today is not just that there were people who were faithful, but through all this, the main point is that God is faithful. He is the one who's faithful, both in the victories of this life and in the heartache. When things are going well and when things are not going well, God continues to be faithful to his people. And so if there's anything that you hear today, I want you to hear that. God is faithful. And in Hebrews um, 11.6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so the reward that God provides maybe is not what the world tells us what a reward is, but God is faithful to reward those that seek him. And we'll read about them here. And so the first part I'm going to read is in Hebrews uh, 11, verses 32 through 34. And the author says, And what more shall I say? 
I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And so here the author of Hebrews you know, he, says, he says, you know, what more shall I say? I do not have time. Well, this is my first time speaking, and so I need, to, I, I have the time to speak about these guys. Um, and so uh, Gideon, I'll talk about Gideon. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, these four men, they were all judges in Israel. And what are judges? When God brought the Israelites into the promised land for, out of Egypt, um, he gave them a group of uh, men and women called judges, who were leaders, who would lead the people, defend the people, and point them back to God. And um, unfortunately, the Israelites, after they were brought out of Egypt and received the blessing of the promised land, they, uh, they continued to turn away from God. And um, in this one instance, um, God found a man, Gideon. And I'm going to just read um, in Judges chapter 6. And about Gideon. And God came to Gideon in Judges 6, and it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon said, uh, Pardon me, my Lord? But if the Lord is with us, why has all these things happened to us? The, Gideon and the Israelites were persecuted by the Midianites. They were persecuted so bad, they were living, in, they had to leave their farms, and they were going off to the cliffs and the mountains. <laughs> And they were like, God, where are you if, if all these bad things are happening to us? Where are all your wonders that our ancestors told about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? You know, God, where were you? Where are you? Why aren't you parting the Red Sea? Why aren't you helping us? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us in the hands of Midian, is what Gideon said back to the angel. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in strength. You have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon's response was, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, well, I will be with you, and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And so God was choosing this man, Gideon, for no specific reason, but he chose Gideon, who even said, hey, I, I'm weak. I want to, God chose Gideon to go and defend Israel against the Midianites. And Gideon at first didn't believe and three times tested God. God, are, are you really, really talking to me? Um, and he gave God a couple of different tasks to do in order to prove that God really was speaking to him. But once Gideon believed, he went and assembled a group of 33,000 men to go and do battle and rescue the Israelites. Uh, but God said, that's too many. I don't want you to go to battle with 32,000 men because you'll think that you are the ones that saved Israel. And I want you to know that it is only I who am going to save Israel. And so he made Gideon give up his army of 32,000 men and they whittled it down to 300 men. And God's like, all right, with 300 men, now I want you to go after the Midianites who have terrorized you. 
And so Gideon, they broke the 300 men up into uh, three groups of 100. And so in Judges 7, it says, Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. And what do they do? There's 300 men, a whole army in front of them. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew trumpets and smashed jars, grasped torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. That's it. That was the plan. Go with a trumpet and blow it at this army. And what happens? It says, it says, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. The Midianites were scared, and they began to flee. And then Israel pursued them. And so God here just showed that, hey, I don't need numbers. I just need faithful men like Gideon who will trust me and obey and do what I call them to do. And that's how they defeated the Midianites. Another thing that I just read is that there were some believers that quenched the flames of fire, it says. And that, that verse, uh, that, those words take me back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for those of you who don't know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were uh, three men who were living in Babylon uh, during the time where Israel was exiled. And so what happened was is that over time, the Israelites were not faithful, and as a result, God led them out of Israel into Babylon, and they were captured by a king named King Nebuchadnezzar. And while they were in Babylon, uh, the king had decided, you know what, I'm going to build a great gold statue to myself. And in Daniel 3, the Bible tells us, Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the flute and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they were not to worship anyone but the Lord their God, as God commanded in his, in, in his commandments. And once they refused, they were brought before the king. And in Daniel 3, it says, the king Nebuchadnezzar is talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power and your, ma your majesty. And then here's the thing that just strikes me what they say. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith that God could save them. But they even said, even if God doesn't save us, we're still not going to do what you call us to do. And they were willing to give up their life. But then um, 
as they're thrown into the fire, it says, Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And again, God supernaturally, just as with Gideon, he supernaturally saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three men who had faith and were willing to obey God. And just one other th- person I'll mention is David. Um, David, uh, for those of you who don't know, he was the second king of Israel. He was just a shepherd boy. His father was not a king. But God anointed him as a teenager to be the next king of Israel. And as a boy, he was the one who was willing to step forth in faith to defend Israel against Goliath, um, the Philistine giant. And God used this teenage boy to defend this giant warrior. And so what I want you to hear from just these stories that I've mentioned is that the Bible shows that there is... Uh, nothing that's too big for God um, when we trust and obey Him. There's no challenge. There's nothing that's too big for God to handle. Um, and just to give it, make it a little bit more personal, uh, so I have never routed foreign armies. I have not been thrown into a fire, and I have not fought a giant. Um, and so I can't point to my life and say, look, this God showed up and did this. But uh, in this amazing way. But I will share a little bit about what God has done in my life. And you know, when I first became a believer, um, uh, I was growing a lot in the first few years, reading the Bible, learning how to walk with God. And one of the things that God convicted me of uh, in a mighty way was just, uh, just, the, um, just there are many things he convicted me of, but one specific was drinking. Uh, every time I had, was in a social activity or an event, there was always alcohol that was involved with my friends, with work. Uh, my work would sponsor happy hours. At the time, I was working as an investment banker in Dallas, and so it was part of our job to go to bars um, that we would and have happy hours and meet other customers or um, other, um, other bankers. And uh, in addition, I was really into golf, and I mentioned country music. And so around all my activities, there was always alcohol that was involved, um, either when I went to friends' places or barbecues or people coming to my house. And I began to feel that God was convicting me about cutting back on my drinking. And so I tried to you know, cut it back from three drinks to two drinks to one drink a night. And, but other brothers in my life said, hey, Amit, would you be willing to give up alcohol for a while? I said, sure, I'll give it up for a month. And then they said, how about six months? I was like, no. Um, and, but I began to read the Bible and I began to be convicted. God was calling me to lay this down. And it, it, was a, it sounds weird now saying it, but it was a really scary thing for me to do wondering how would I function in the world? How would I function at a party or at a happy hour that my company's throwing or when I'm going out to dinner with a customer? Um, and what would my friends say? It, it, was, it was scary for me to do it, but um, I actually just had guys around me, they prayed, and I just felt convicted that, God, for, for now, I want to lay this down. And it was amazing how God uh, really opened my eyes and how I could trust him in any circumstance and that I didn't need this crutch of alcohol in order to have a good time or to try to fit in with the crowd. 
And it led to some great conversations as I was not drinking. And people would ask me, hey, tell me, why is it that you're not drinking with us? Um, and it led to, for me to have some great conversations. And um, so I think it was a period of three or four years I, I, I wasn't um, drinking at all. And um, it, it, it showed me that whatever challenges I have in my life, if I trust God and I'm willing to obey him, he is faithful. And so that's just a thing, something I want to share. And so the other thing I'll say is that, you know, um, again, I, an angel of the Lord has never come to me and said something audibly and told me what to do. Uh, and, but I do believe God speaks to us, and I do believe he speaks to us through his word, the Bible. And for those of you, um, just my encouragement for all of us, actually, is that we would be people of the word, that we would be people that would not just read the Bible casually as a newspaper, if anyone still reads newspapers anymore, but people that actually go to God to, to listen to him and hear what he has to say to us, trust him, and actually obey what he calls us to do in this book. And one thing that's really helped me um, is, and, and how to read the Bible is uh, a book by Howard Hendricks. It's called Living by the Faith. And in that book, he teaches you how to make observations, read the Bible, and see, notice what you're seeing. For example, in the book of uh, Hebrews 11, I can't count the number of times the word faith is in there. And um, so that tool, that book had really helped me know how to make an observation, interpret what I've just seen, and how to apply it to my life. Um, So again, the main takeaway that I want you to hear is that when there are times when we have faith that God does amazing things, um, only things that he can do. And uh, the one thing I'll also observe about the men that uh, are listed in Hebrews 11 is that these are not perfect men or women. They were people that had some serious flaws. Um, uh, you know, Gideon, while he defeated the foreign armies, he was somebody that then set up an idol for Israel to worship. David, a man who is, the Bible says that this was a man after God's own heart. He committed adultery and had uh, somebody murdered, Uriah. Um, and he didn't even deal with the sins of his children, and his family was an absolute mess. And so the other point I want to make is that even when we are faithful, faithfulness is not a one-time thing. It's something that we do each and every day, that we have to choose to decide to be faithful to our God. Uh, one verse that helps me process that is Hebrew, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So then, now in Hebrews, we talked about some of the victories that some of the people had. Th- th- then the, it turns in verse 35. It says in Hebrews eleven thirty-five, 35, Women received their loved ones, again, back from dead. And that happened with Elijah. He raised the boy. But here's where it turns. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. So they were not placing their hope on what they were experiencing. They, their hope was in life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. This is where it gets graphic. And others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. 
Some went about wearing sheepskins and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over the deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the grounds. It just changed. The Hebrew of the chap, the author of Hebrews, the first 35 verses just talks about all the victories that people had who had faith in God. And then it turns where it tells people were being tortured for refusing to believe uh, or, or for refusing to abandon God. And what we see here is that there were people who had faith. They had so much faith, they were they're actually in this book of Hebrews 11. They had faith, but they still experienced evil and tragic circumstances. But they placed their hope in God's promises and a better life after the resurrection. One example of, it mentions stoning. One example of stoning was someone who came after Jesus, uh, Stephen. Stephen was a church leader uh, that the apostles had put their hands on. And what was his job? His job was to feed the poor widows. And he was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how was a man who was feeding poor widows, he was perceived as a threat by religious leaders because of his faith. And they stoned him. It tells us in Acts chapter 7, he was brought before, he was arrested and brought before the religious leaders and Stephen, in boldness, says, You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. And so even here, Stephen is telling people that Prophets of God have been killed. And he goes on and says, You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated with Stephen's accusations, and they shook their fists at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told him, Look, I see heaven opened up, and the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and they stoned him. And as they were stoning him, he even prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and don't charge them with this sin. And so there are times when we have faith that God, the way he responds to us is not the way we would think. Um... Sometimes we're left in hurt and in pain. But God still shows himself to be faithful. So the measure of faithfulness is not dependent on if our prayers are answered in the way we would want them to be. As Stephen, he, was, he had faith and he was taken out just as he became a leader in the church. And our call is that we're, we need to seek to continue to be faithful to God and obey him regardless of the circumstances because trusting that Jesus is able to deliver us. I want to say that again, is that we need to seek to be faithful and trust God, believing that Jesus can still deliver us. As believers, we look to a better home. We know that 
what we experience here on this earth, that is not everything. As it says in Hebrews, there were others that were looking to a better resurrection. They were looking forward to something greater, a greater place that God had prepared for them. Um, And, you know, I'll be honest, like, I've not walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I have not experienced some of the tragedies that many in this room have experienced. And um, right now, the only reason I could say that we need to continue to be faithful is I've watched other brothers and sisters before me who have suffered, who have still been able to praise God in the midst of their suffering. And what does it look like to you know, walk God with God in suffering? It's not, it's not a magic formula. It's, it's reading the Bible. It's praying to him. It's being in community, and it's trusting in him. The Psalms are a great place where you could actually cry out to God and just tell him your hurt and your pain. And my prayer for our church is that we would be a place where people that are suffering and, in, and are in the midst of heartache could come forward and share their stories. I know this has not always been perfectly done, um, but my prayer is that people would come forward and be able to open up with those, specifically those that they are living life with and are our community with. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would pray for those that are hurt and pain in our church, that we would not just seek to give advice, but we would be listen, people who would listen and pray for those that are in the midst of suffering. Uh, the next point I just want to bring out is that if you look in verse 34 and verse 37 in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that there were some that escaped the edge of the sword. And, it, and then in verse 37, it says, and there were others that were killed by the sword. And it's really strange how sometimes God chooses to save some from suffering, but he doesn't save others. And, and we don't know why God chooses in his sovereign will to save some and not others. But we can see that God is, my point is God is still faithful in the midst of the suffering and in the midst of the victory. Because when we're victory, it's obvious that God has delivered us. And when we suffer, we can trust that there is still something better for us. The, the last section uh, that I'd like to read is in Hebrews uh, 11, verses 39 and 40. It says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And so here we see that the author of Hebrews says that there were people who had faith that did, and they did not receive all that were promised, but that they were looking for something better. There was something better for them that was promised. And so as a Christian, our ultimate goal is not that we, we would be spared from suffering and in this life. I'll be honest, there's a part of me that wants to be spared from suffering. Um, it's not something that I want to ever seek out. But as a Christian, our ultimate goal and hope is not that we, we would be spared from suffering. Our hope is that there is something better ahead. Now, Paul knew this. Paul knew, Paul the apostle, who wrote about 40% of the New Testament, knew 
that Jesus would watch over him and deliver his soul. So Paul was, for those of you who don't know, he was initially a persecutor of the church. He watched as Stephen was being stoned, and he approved of it. Um, and this is what Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. And God chose me to be a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of this good news. So he was an apostle and he was a preacher and a teacher of the gospel. He went up and set up churches. He went throughout the known world at the time <laughs> declaring the gospel. And he was persecuted and he ended up in prison with nobody. Uh, maybe one or two other believers were still with him, but he lost everything. Even some of his churches were struggling at the time. His companions had abandoned him. And this was what he got after a lifetime of ministry, alone and in prison. But this is what he says in verse 12. You know, he talks about how God had called him to be a preacher and an apostle. And he says, that is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. So Paul, in the midst of his suffering, still knew that Jesus was still going to deliver him. And just if we have any doubt, Jesus himself speaks in John 16, verse 33. He says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So in both victories in this life and in heartache, God is faithful and he does reward us, those who seek him. So if you take anything away, just know that God is faithful. Uh, before I conclude, I just want to share uh, a quick story from a pastor. Um, his name is Matt Chandler. He's actually the president of the Acts 29 network. Um, Acts 29 is a church planning network that our church was actually founded through and we are a part of. And... Uh, he, Matt Chandler is the pastor of a church called the Village Church in Dallas, Texas. And in Thanksgiving of 2009, he actually had a seizure at his home. And uh, he woke up in the hospital. And after they did some scans, they found a tumor he had on his right frontal lobe. And the only option was to have immediate brain surgery to remove that tumor. And uh, a few months prior to this uh, incident, he had been actually traveling, uh, teaching out of Hebrews 11, uh, the same book that we have been studying. And he would talk about how God had conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and shut the mouths of lions. And that was his experience walking with God. God had no done nothing but give him good things and give him victory after victory after victory. He was blessed with a beautiful wife and uh, beautiful children. Um, he was the pastor of a rapidly growing church, and he was gaining uh, national preaching opportunities and speaking opportunities, and his, his life looked great. And, but as he was teaching about Hebrews chapter 11, a hitch in his spirit came when he got to verse 35, when he talks about how um, believers were persecuted and sawn in two and stoned um, and he felt that he, um, he couldn't personally attest to the faith that believers had in pain because he was not going through the trials and sufferings 
that it says that other believers have gone through. But once he was diagnosed with um, can brain cancer, uh, he cried with his family. He wanted to grow old and see his children grow up. But there was a part of him that he said, in the midst of this, he felt grateful that in his suffering, he could still tell people that God was enough and that he could praise and exalt God. Not as a man who had everything, but as a man who on the verge could potentially lose everything. And he felt blessed that God considered him worthy to praise him and follow him in the midst of suffering. For me, hearing this testimony helped me believe that God was enough and it is possible to have faith regardless of the trials and suffering that life could bring. For those of us that have not walked in this pain and suffering that life can provide, we need to trust other believers that have had faith and could still praise God in the midst of the heartache and the pain of this life. And so again, my main point was in both victories and heartache, God is faithful to us, regardless of what life looks like here. As Scott mentioned, I think two weeks ago, the way your life looks and the success of defeat in this life is not an indication of faithfulness. And God says that he is the one who uh, is faithful and blesses us. And so as a Christian, the reason we can have faith is that our ultimate reality is not what is happening here on this earth. Because as it happened with Matt Chandler, there is pain and suffering. There is heartache. Two of my dear friends right now, one of them has just lost his kidney, and I'm praying earnestly another kidney comes. Um, and there is heartache in this life. But ultimately, our faith is not in this world. It's in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus... I'm just going to walk you through something called the Roman's Road, which is what uh, believers have used as a way to tell people about Jesus. In Romans 3, it says, For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so all of us, in one way or another, have fallen short of what God has called us ultimately to be, even if it's just at one time. And we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And then in Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So because we have sinned, we earn death. But then it says, But the free God of, gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the Bible says we are all sinners, and that's sinners... That sin has lead, leads to death. But God loves us, and because he loves us, he sent his son that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says he died, well, before that, he said he died so that we could have life because he paid the penalty for all of our sins. And not only did he die, but he rose again, and he defeated death. And in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And it's that message that regardless of what life throws at us, is that our hope is in Christ and what he has done, and we 
are going to be with him. He is coming back for us and that we will be saved. And because of that, in the midst of heartache, we could still praise him. And so for those of you who do know Jesus, this is what my encouragement for you is. In Romans 10, right after it declares about how you can put your faith in Christ, it says, how then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? Meaning those who don't know Jesus, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how good can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so if you do know Jesus, my encouragement to you is to go and tell others. This week, tell a friend, tell a co-worker, tell a family member. Lord, I just want to thank you for today. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for this message, Lord, that you are faithful regardless of what things look like on earth for us. And I pray each and every day, Lord, you would help us be people of the book. They would, we would hear from you. We would listen to you. They would, we would trust you and that we would obey you. Father, I pray you use this body to go and love this world that is hurting and that we be messengers of the good news. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name.